Ladies, you might get ready to sing that uh, at the end of the service as well, if you would please. Hebrews chapter 13. I have been burdened about the service this morning in so many ways. I mentioned earlier I, I hate to see services slip us by without the presence of God. Amen. And sometimes these special and fun days, we can have a tendency to just miss it. And then I also wasn't sure that maybe we would have some that would be lost this morning sitting in the crowd. Maybe you don't know whether or not you're on your way to heaven and don't have your eternity settled, and I am deeply burdened for you Amen. to know the Savior that I know Amen. and to have your eternity taken care of. But I'm also burdened for God's people. It's my desire for God to meet with us in every service. And we as men often fall short, but God's Spirit and power never will. And so I have pleaded much for that very thing today. In spite of my shortcomings, may God's presence be with us and in our midst. And then they began to sing that song, which I've never heard. Didn't know they were singing it. They didn't know what I was preaching, but they go hand in hand. So we'll just let the Word of God do the work this morning. Hebrews chapter 13. If, you don't, if you're kind of new to your Bibles or still trying to learn them, uh, the book of Hebrews is uh, kind of towards the end of your Bible. If you find the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible, then you maybe flip towards the beginning a few books, you'll find it there. One of the longer books towards the end of your Bibles. Hebrews chapter number 13, and we'll begin reading in verse number 10. Let's all stand to our feet if we could please this morning as we read the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 10. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto Him without the camp, bearing His reproach. For here have we no continuing city, we seek one to come. By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please speak and help. And I pray that you would remove me out of the way. I yield this service to you. I yield myself to you. And I beg you, please guide my thoughts and my speech. Help me to 
to preach according to what you would have me to say and nothing else. I pray that your conviction would fall upon those that are lost if they're on their way to hell. Help them to see that they need to repent of their sin and trust Christ as their Savior. Lord, I pray that you would please help those that are already saved to remember that great sacrifice that we should be offering continually without the camp. That is the praise of our lips. Lord, I pray that you would renew this morning and refresh our praise in your ears. We pray this as we ask it in Jesus' name and amen. You can be seated. Let me explain, if I may, as quickly as possible what is being said. The book of Hebrews is a book that is written to, well, the book says it, to the Hebrew people. I don't have my handkerchief. I don't know what happened to it. Who are the Hebrew people? They were a group of people from which our Messiah came, but also, in many ways, a group of people that rejected Him. And so, there's a book that is written by the name of the book of Hebrews that is largely a book written to those that were kind of still maybe hanging on to some of the old Hebrew traditions and trying to connect that with salvation instead of believing in Jesus Christ the Messiah. So this book, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, is used to separate the two between the Old Testament traditions and that of how the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was the only one that was needed for man's sin. He speaks then to the Christians in some places in this book who do believe that Jesus Christ is the only way and he comes to it in verse number, uh, verse number 10 where he says, We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. He's talking about those who still serve the old tabernacle, the old temple where uh, the Jews were used to meeting with God. You see, uh, there was a temple that was built. David desired for it to be built but God wouldn't allow him to do it, and so he allowed his son Solomon to build a temple for God. Now God said, look, I don't dwell with man. There is no part of the earth that can contain me. I have created all of the heavens and all of the earth, and you cannot keep me inside of a building. But he said, I will, if you want to build a place that is in honor of my name, I will meet with you there. So David longed to have a place where he could meet with God on a regular basis and know that the presence of God could be there. And so he desired to build a temple. But God said, you've been a bloody man, a man of war. I cannot allow you to build my temple. But he says, I'll allow your son Solomon to do it. And so David lays up everything in store. He, he, he gets all the goods together, all the precious metals and the silver and the gold. And, and he tries to bring all the great cedars of Lebanon. And he, he, he gets all of the materials together, if you will, for those of you that work in the construction field. He brings all the materials together, makes his trip to, to the uh, uh, International Home Depot and, and brings everything to the place where they can then uh, be ready to build it when it's time to build it. And so David... Uh, passes off the scene and leaves all the materials there for his son. Solomon then picks up those pieces of materials that, that, that his father had left to build the temple for God and he then adds to them and builds a great temple. 
to the Lord. That was a place where people would go to meet with God. It was a place where, where the, the, uh, the Holy of Holies was, the, the, that, that secret place where, where God's presence would come down and receive the atonement sacrifice and, 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 and yet again be willing to atone the sins of Israel that only the high priest could enter into. But see, something happened when Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary. That place that was once built where only the high priest could go in to be in the presence of God on behalf of the people. Now, when Jesus Christ offered Himself a perfect sacrifice upon the cross of Calvary, when He did so and His blood was applied to the mercy seat and He uh, uh, before that cried, it is finished, what He was saying was that the final atonement, the only thing that would ever be required for all of the sins of mankind, past, present, and future, was now finished and complete and God's wrath had now uh, been appeased and that because of what He had done, everything was now finished. Nothing else needed to be accomplished in order for man to be saved. It was done. It was covered. It was over. And so at that point, the Bible then says that when Jesus, uh, when Jesus cried out, that then the veil in the temple that separated man from God where only the high priest could go in and meet with God on behalf of mankind. Now that veil was rent in twain and there was no longer a dividing place where man like you and me could not be in the presence of God. You see, because then at that point the Bible tells us that God would send His Spirit into all of our hearts and that we could be in constant communion and fellowship with God Himself. And that we are now the temple of the Holy Ghost. I cannot understand all of that or how it all works, but I believe it. And then we come to Hebrews chapter number 13, and the Bible tells us that we have an altar. We have an altar. What does that mean? Well, see, there was an altar that existed at one point where only the high priest could go and he could, he could sprinkle the, the atoning blood upon the mercy seat. And if God saw fit, He would send His presence to accept that atonement. You see, it was an altar that only some would ever be able to see. Only the high priest could lay eyes on it. And still, he had to do it with great fear and great humility. Only the high priest had access to that altar. You and me didn't. He went on behalf of us. But you see, in verse number 10, the Bible says, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Now what he's saying is that there comes a time where Jesus Christ, when all of this is accomplished and it's finished, now we have access to God. But unfortunately, there were many in the Hebrew nation that did not believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And so they continued to try to sacrifice and go to that altar. Are you with me? They didn't need to go there anymore. Amen. Because it was finished. 
They just needed to believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and put their faith in Him and they could have access to God the Father. But they weren't doing that. There were some that were continuing to go to the Old Testament altar. Are, are, are you with me? Is this making sense at all? I hope so. There were some that were still going to the Old Testament altar. They were still trying to go to that place and, and perform those sacrifices and so on and so forth. And God said, but you don't have to do that anymore. And he says, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. He says, look, they don't have a right to come to this altar because they're trying to, to make things right by the old ways. So they have not been given permission to come to me. They don't have any right to come to me because they're not coming by the right way. Amen. But he says, we have an altar that they don't have. What's he talking about? He says in verse number 11, For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Now, these, the blood that was brought to the altar, you see the bodies of those beasts that had been slain for the atonement offering. The bodies of those animals that were being used for that purpose, they were then taken outside of the camp and they were burned. Is everybody with me? Alright, so... Verse number 12, Wherefore, Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered without the gate. And it's a picture. Where Jesus suffered and died for our sins is a picture of how He made Himself accessible to all. That it didn't happen behind closed doors. That He did it for all mankind. Verse number 13, Let us go forth therefore unto Him without the camp, bearing His reproach for here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By Him therefore, let us offer the sacrifice. Now wait a minute, I thought we didn't need to sacrifice anymore, you see, because it was all finished on the day that Jesus Christ shed His blood for our sins, right? Yes, that is true. There is no, no more need for a sacrifice for sins. No more need for a sacrifice for sins. You don't have to take any animals to the temple anymore. None of us have to journey to Jerusalem to go to that place anymore. That's not required of us anymore. But we have an altar. Not the one that was once in the Holy of Holies. Not the one that only the high priest could approach to. But we have an altar. What is that altar? It's the altar of our hearts. That the Bible says in verse number 15, By Him therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. What? Do you see verse number 15? By Him therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. What? We have an altar. But it's not the altar of atonement anymore. It's the altar of praise. Amen. I don't have to go anymore to a place where I had to take a beast to atone for my sins, where every man could see that I needed atonement for my sins, and I had to take that beast for the high priest then to go on my behalf and approach 
God Himself. I don't have to do that for atonement anymore. If I have put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then the atonement altar is already taken care of. But rather, I have a different altar now that I'm supposed to visit continually. I have another altar now that I'm supposed to regularly frequent. Some place that I'm supposed to go on a regular basis that only me and God can be there together just like as if it was the high priest going before the old altar. Now I get to go before this new altar and I get to appear there as the high priest did at one point. Now I get to be there and this new altar has nothing to do with atonement. It has everything to do with my praise. It is a place that God says that we are supposed to be continually. And the Bible says that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. For what? So many times this time of year we say, well, what do I have to be thankful for? And we go through a list of things. Well, I know I can be thankful for this and I can be thankful for that and there's nothing wrong with all of that. We ought to be thankful in all things. But there is one altar we ought to visit regularly and our lips ought to offer praise and thanks for one thing. God, I don't know why you saved me. But thank you. I certainly wasn't worthy of it. Thank you. I certainly didn't earn it. Thank you. An altar of praise. The fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. I don't have to make blood sacrifices anymore, but the Bible says in verse number 16, to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is what? Well pleased. You see, God mentions three different types of sacrifices here. He talks about the sacrifice of praise. He talks about doing good and communicating. Now, those, those two things I'm not going to necessarily address this morning. To do good essentially means to do good works for God and for others, and to communicate essentially means to give an offering unto the Lord for His work and for His purposes. And he says, don't forget to do those things. But first and foremost, may we offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Amen. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. God who? God the Father. You know, it pleases God the Father when you show up every now and then and praise His Son. Well, the question is, how real is our praise? Because we talk about heaven and eternity and salvation. We talk about church and we talk about how good God is. But the reality is that there needs to be something issuing forth from our heart that is so real that is more than just lip service, something that is more than just words being repeated. We ought to be regularly just between us and God showing up and thanking Him. You know, when we were taught to pray, we're taught to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. 
Remember, I preached a series on that passage of Scripture not long after the Lord brought us here. Hallowed be thy name. Our, our prayer should always start with praise. And the Bible says that we should uplift the name of Jesus, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His what? To His what? To His name, right? And then when the Bible says when we pray, that we should pray, hallowed be thy what? Be thy name. Why is the name so important? Why does it matter so much that our praise specifically be unto and about His name? You see, because there is no other name by which you may be saved or must be saved. That it is at the name of Jesus that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's at the name of Jesus that that's going to happen. Now I know I've referenced this before, but the name of Jesus is so powerful and so holy and so worthy of glory and honor and praise that when we are all in the right mindset and when Jesus Christ Himself is here and when we hear His name proclaimed for the first time when He steps out to take and establish His throne on this earth, the name of Jesus will be so precious and so wonderful and so powerful that every knee and every tongue shall confess. Listen, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. In other words, it will be so powerful the name of Jesus that even those that are lost will know that the name of Jesus is the name that we are all saved by and that He is the one that we should be bowing to. The name of Jesus is so powerful in heaven that they cease not night and day to say holy, holy, holy. But in this earth, we often use His name so loosely that it has lost its great meaning. The truth is that His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name is powerful. His name is glorious. There is no other name. When we hear the name of Jesus, it ought to cause our hearts to rejoice. When we hear the name of Jesus, it ought to be above every other name. I love to hear the name of my wife. When, when, when somebody says my wife's name, it rejoices my heart most of the time. But when we hear the name of Jesus, there will be a day when no knee will be able to stand any longer at the, at the name of Jesus. You see, there's something powerful about the name of Jesus and God the Father loves to hear His Son's name proclaimed and loves to hear His Son's name thanked and praised. The Bible says, By Him, therefore, by Jesus Christ, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. We give thanks for a whole lot of things, but how often have we truly knelt before God out of the sincerity of our heart and given thanks to Him for His name? for the power of Jesus Christ and His saving blood. You see, the Bible says, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, an holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We're to offer up spiritual sacrifices. And the Bible says we're supposed to do it continually. And the one we're supposed to offer up the most is an, a sacrifice of praise to His name. Unto you therefore which believe He is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, 
The stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. As priests unto God, we are told in multiple places in the Scriptures to offer sacrifices of praise to Him. The Bible says we should do it by Him, which means in order for this to mean anything to you, you need to be one of His children. You need to be saved by Him. If you're sitting here this morning and you hear me talking about praising the name of Jesus and you think, well, I mean, that's all good and I know we ought to do those kind of things, but it doesn't mean anything to you. It might be that you are lost and on your way to hell. Because it's, it's impossible to give praise and thanks to somebody you haven't been saved by. My parents are meaningful to me because I know the sacrifices that they've made for me. Now, I know you all love my dad and you, lo you love my mom and my siblings and when they come here, you're so kind to them and, 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 and we have fun together and I know you care for them, but you don't love them the way that I love them. And as much as I care for and appreciate you and your family, your parents don't mean the same to me that they do to you. Why are they so meaningful to you? Because you know the sacrifices that they made for you. You know the time that they invested in you. You know the, the, the love and compassion that they showed to you. Even if they weren't perfect parents, they often did good things for you. And so they are more meaningful to you because of what they did for you. But some of you sit here this morning like a lump on a log, having no clue what I'm talking about when I'm talking about giving praise to His name. Because the reality is, some of you may not have any clue what it means to have Jesus save you from your sins and know what it means to truly be forgiven he's meaningful to me because he saved me and I wonder if you sit here this morning and you're not sure that you're on your way to heaven can I tell you that you could have the Savior today just like I did back in December of 1991 and you could have your eternity settled and you could have a home in heaven and you could one day also actually today be thankful to be able to praise His name. But you know, it's important for us to understand why we're able to give our praise. The Bible says, by Him therefore, let, her, let us offer, offer the sacrifice of praise. In order for you to be able to do it, first of all, you need to be by Him. You need to be saved by Him. You need to be forgiven by Him. And if you are saved by Him and forgiven by Him, then we ought to renew and refresh our praise. If it's gotten a little old and a little stagnant, then can I remind you, the only reason why you can give that praise is because of Him, and He is worthy to give praise to. And we ought to, on a regular basis, continually offer praise praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. If there's anything we ought to be thankful for on a day where we're thinking about Thanksgiving, it ought to be that every person in this room reminds themselves that it is by Him that we have any reason to give thanks. We need to renew our praise and remember where it came from. You know, uh, I was going to take you to a couple of passages this morning. I'm not sure if it's what the Lord would have us to do. I, I may just stay here. When the first temple was, was built in 2 Chronicles chapter number 6, we get a little bit of a picture of what's going on around that time. 
Solomon stands before the people and he recounts a little bit of Israel's history. The temple is completed and he stands before the people in order to dedicate it to God. And what does he do in that moment? If you go back and read 2 Chronicles 6 and some other places where this account is given in the Old Testament because it's in a couple of different places you'll see that one of the first things that Solomon does is that he reminds the people where they came from. He reminds them where they came from. Now listen, if your praise is getting a little old and if it's getting a little bit hard to really find something to be thankful for, I think it's good for us every now and then to go back as Solomon did. And he reminded the people, he said, remember when you were back there in Egypt? And God delivered us out of there and He said He would give us a place where He would place His name. Is everybody okay? He reminds them of where they came from. He reminds them of the captivity that they were once in. He reminds them of Egypt where they were once delivered from. And then He reminds them, remember when you asked for a king and God gave you a king, but then He gave you a king after His own heart and that was my father David. And then remember how He said that He would build a temple where His name could be placed. Remember all of those things. He reminds them of where they came from, what they didn't have and what they have now. And often when we're struggling to truly have honest praise to God in our hearts, it's because we have not remembered where we came from. And as we heard that song here just a few moments ago, the song talked about our past and the person that we were before we were saved. And sometimes when our praise gets old, it's really important for us to go back and remind ourselves, this is who I was before He saved me. This is where I came from. You know, it might be old to you, but let me tell you, tell you where I came from. I came from a family of gambling, smoking, drinking, cussing, partying, people that didn't want anything to do with God or His house. They respected God, they feared God, but they never came into His church. I came from a heritage of family members that came from the hills of, of, of Tennessee and Arkansas that found themselves in Indiana, godless and without any hope in this world. I came from a group of people that were always cussing at each other and screaming at each other. Families that were broken constantly. I came from a lineage of people that divorce was always a topic of conversation. That's where I came from. And when I look at what I have and what I got to grow up with, God changed it all. And man, does that refresh my praise every now and then when I remember where I came from. Some of you have forgotten what your family was without Him. You've forgotten who you were without Him. And if it's been getting a little bit difficult to give God any praise, maybe you ought to remember where you came from. Renewing our praise requires remembering where we came from. It also requires remembering that His mercy endureth forever. <laughs> you know Psalm 118 and Psalm 136, if you go read through those, you'll find a phrase repeated over and over and over again. Matter of fact, we're going to do it. Would you turn to Psalm 136? Say, well, how in the world can... 
can I renew my praise? Let's look at Psalm 136. First of all, you need to remember where you came from. Second of all, look at, look at this. Now, Solomon said this, by the way, in 2 Chronicles chapter number 7 during the dedication of the temple. But I'm showing it to you also in Psalm. Look at Psalm chapter number 136. Oh, give what? Thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. For what? His mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods for His what? Mercy endureth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords for His what? You see how every verse in that passage ends? For what? For His mercy endureth forever. You know what you're listening to? You're listening to a psalmist that has been overcome by God's mercy. And he just can't get over it. And he starts in the first few verses saying, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. For His mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for His mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His mercy endureth forever. Now listen, here's the thing. Sometimes we forget what it means to have mercy. Mercy. Is, not, is God not giving us what we do deserve? Our praise gets old not only when we forget where we came from, but also when we forget what we were truly headed for. What I was headed for was judgment. What I was headed for was hell. And He is worthy of giving praise because as that old song says, I'm not going to hell. I thank God that there is a place that I have a promise that I get to go to. It is another place that we seek, as we saw in Hebrews chapter number 13. Where was that? What verse was that? Verse number 14. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Is everybody okay? We're looking for something that is nothing but a picture of mercy. Where God could cast me into hell, but because of His Son, His mercy will endure forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It will never end. There will never be a time in heaven where I'll ever have to fear that God the Father might cast me back into hell because His mercy endureth forever. But you see, the word forever doesn't just mean in the future. It also means now. It also means the present. It also means the past. And if you'll look over the course of your life, the reality is you'll see so many things that God's mercy has been used in your life for. And you'll see so many things today that He is still being merciful to you for. The reality is that we ought to offer continually the sacrifices of praise from our lips because of His continuing, everlasting mercy. Renewing our praise requires remembering where you came from. Secondly, it requires remembering His mercy endureth forever. And lastly, it requires remembering the Savior Himself. And I've already preached that point. His precious name. That one that in spite of who I was decided that I was still worth saving. You ever just think about your Savior every now and then? You ever wonder what He looks like? When you pray, do you imagine an image, a face? Sometimes it's the images of pictures that have inhabited our houses and 
artists that have tried to render what Jesus may have looked like. Just, just can, can I clarify something? There were no cameras back then, and Jesus never sat down for a mural. We don't know what he looked like. And, and most of the paintings that came out of the Renaissance period were, were thousands of years after he was alive. Well, 1500 or so. Whatever that, when was the Renaissance period? I don't know. Anyway, point is, they didn't see him. They didn't know what he looked like. But just imagine. And a lot of them painted him looking like a sissy because the Bible says, doth not even nature itself teach you. It's a shame for a man to have long hair. It always amazes me that Jesus always has long hair in these paintings. Uh, they, they forgot a part of the book of Corinthians when they painted those. He wasn't a long-haired, hippie, soft-skinned man. I believe he was actually pretty common. If you study your Bibles, I believe he didn't stand out in the crowd. He could have been easily missed, but it was by the miracles that were performed that people knew he was the Son of God. Anyway, that's a little rabbit trail. But you ever try to picture Jesus? We get some glimpses of him every now and then in the Bible, but they're hard to understand. You ever try to comprehend what John the Revelator saw in, in Revelation chapter 1 when he saw Jesus? I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. The way he describes it, it just doesn't quite make sense to me. I don't know what he looks like. But I know I get to talk to him. And that he is my mediator. And I know one day, as the Scripture says, I'll see Him as He is. And I don't know what that's going to look like, but I guarantee it's going to be glorious. I can't wait to see my Savior face to face. And if you're having a hard time praising God for anything, or maybe just having a genuine heart of praise, you may not know what He looks like, but you sure do know what He's done for you. Amen. And one of these days, you might just imagine what it's going to be like one of these days when we all see Him for the first time. And that cloud, that veil that is over our eyes where we look through a glass darkly and we have a, a hard time understanding and comprehending all things, it will all be removed and we'll see the very... Son of God, face to face, as He appears in the clouds and calls us up into heaven. You see, what I'm saying this morning is there needs to be a renewal of continual praise. Would you look at it with me again in verse number 15 of Hebrews chapter 13 and we'll be done. By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. How often? That is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that You would please renew our praise. Lord, I pray that You would help us there is anything to be thankful for, help us 
to remember that we ought to all day today and every day continually be giving thanks and praise for your son. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around, how many would say, preacher, if I were to die today, 